Would you pray with me, please? Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to be in this room, to be in our midst, to be in our hearts, Lord, that we might hear your truth and know your truth and be formed by your truth. Lord, that we might see the beauty of the door that is open before us because of your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> So one thing about me that becomes fairly obvious if you spend any amount of time with me, uh, it comes to the fore pretty quickly, and it sort of defined my academic career as a student in a lot of ways. And that thing is that rarely am I the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> it's not false humility. I, I know where I stand, usually in the middle. I'm not the dumbest guy in the room, but I know. I know that I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I figured this out at a relatively early age, though, and I played my strengths. And so even though I might not be the smartest guy in the room, I do consider myself somewhat of an opportunist. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, if a teacher gave extra credit on quizzes, when it got to the end of the year, I was the guy doing the math, trying to figure out how much extra credit I had accumulated so that I could bomb a quiz on purpose and still get by. I wasn't going to do the extra work of studying for an extra quiz if I didn't have to. Or if I had a teacher who I knew to be a good teacher, a helpful teacher, and on tests a teacher who would want me to get the right answer and would be willing to give help to help me understand what I don't understand, well, on that particular test for that particular teacher, I might have a lot of questions. Now what exactly do you mean when you say X, Y, or Z? Now, there was one particular teacher who uh, was wonderful, who I greatly enjoyed being in her class, and she figured out my game pretty early on. <laughs> and so I would go to her with a question that she knew was bogus, and she would look me in the eye and just say, go sit down. <laughs> but the good news about this particular teacher, and the reason that she is such a good teacher, is that she also could tell when my question was not bogus. She could tell when I genuinely did not understand. And in those moments, she wouldn't dismiss me quite so quickly. She would actually help me figure out what the obstacle is that was getting in the way, preventing me from getting to the answer, whatever that might be. So she would ask questions. She would explain things in a new way, give analogies, do all those things that good teachers do so that the student can learn for themselves what it is that needs to be learned. Now, she couldn't just give me the answer, right? Because then it wouldn't be mine. Then I wouldn't actually know it. It would still be hers that she just told me. And because she was a good teacher, she wouldn't leave me hanging either. She cared. She cared that I learned this material. She cared. She was pulling for me. She wanted to see me find the answer. And so she would begin the long, hard trek of beginning to explain and to ask questions. And we would work together to figure out what that obstacle was, preventing me from seeing what the answer is. Now, I begin with this story for two reasons. And the first is that in our passage from Luke, which we will be looking at today, Luke chapter 13, we see Jesus teaching as he approaches Jerusalem, and he's teaching on the kingdom. And what we see is Jesus doing this exact same thing. He's helping this person who asked this question to understand 
how their thoughts need to be reframed. Helping this person understand the obstacle that's in the way to seeing the truth that is before him. So Jesus is going to give some explanation. He's going to give an analogy. He's going to do what he can. He's going to help this person to reframe their thoughts, to reframe their thinking. So we see that on display in our passage in Luke. The second reason I wanted to begin with this story is because, well, the truth is in Jesus's answer, we come quickly to something that is probably pretty uncomfortable for most of us. It's an uncomfortable truth. And that discomfort very well might be an obstacle for each one of us. It might be an obstacle that prevents us from seeing what Jesus is doing, the way he is teaching and leading this person in this conversation. If you want to open your Bibles or the passage from Luke is also printed in the bulletin handout, we're going to look at Luke chapter 13, beginning at the 22nd verse, and we're going to walk through this passage so that we might see what Jesus is doing. Now, we might not get tripped up with the obstacle of uncomfortable truth. We see the question asked in verse 23. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So that is the question that is posed to Jesus. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, Jesus knows he's, he's responding to someone who's trying to figure out a question that's behind this question. Right? This person is asking how many, but behind that question is, what about me? Lord, how do I know who's in and who's out? Is this going to be hard? Is it just going to be a few people? Or are there going to be many? Who's in and who's out? Now, the difficult teaching comes quickly in verse 24. Verse 24 reads, as Jesus responds, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter. Strive to enter. For many will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, on its own, if you focus only on this particular verse and on this particular part of Jesus' response, it sort of sounds like the process of entering the kingdom of God is not dissimilar to the process of becoming a Marine. I remember the, the commercials. Maybe you remember them too. The few, the proud, the Marines. And this verse tends to make us think that becoming a Christian and living a Christian life and entering the kingdom of God might be similar to that. A difficult obstacle, or excuse me, a difficult goal that is hard to obtain, that requires great effort on our behalf that only a few will persevere to, to receive. This is a discomforting thought. If heaven is limited in its capacity and it's me against everyone else, to be honest, I'm not feeling too good about my chances. Here we have our discomfort. So our task today as we look through this passage is to deal with this tension that we feel to see what Jesus is actually saying about who's in and who's out in the kingdom of God. And what we will see is that Jesus is using a gospel wisdom, not conventional wisdom that you and I share, but a gospel wisdom. So the question that's before us, how do we know? How do we know who's in and who's out? 
Look at verse 25 with me. Jesus begins with an analogy in explaining this answer that he's given. And this analogy involves a master of the house who gets up to close a door. Verse 25, Jesus says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. There are clues here in verse 25 to help us see that Jesus is doing something different, that he's thinking about things in a different way than maybe you or I. You see, when we want to divide, which, let's be honest, we're pretty good at that, what we do is we line everybody up and we compare, and we seek out the differences between each other. That's how we make division, right? Tall, short, fat, skinny, black, white, smart, dumb, near, far. It's a comparison that's amongst ourselves. That's how we divide amongst ourselves. That's how we know. But is this type of conventional wisdom that Jesus is seeking to destroy, that he's seeking to remove from the mind of his hearers? It's conventional wisdom that would have you think that those closest to the lifeboats on a sinking ship have a better opportunity of being saved. Right? It makes sense. They're closer to the lifeboats. They have a better opportunity to hop on board. But this is the conventional wisdom that Jesus is trying to put down. As we see in verse 26, he continues the analogy. Then you will begin to say, after hearing from the master of the house, I do not know where you come from, you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. You can hear what the outsiders are saying. You came to us. How do you not know where we come from? You walked our streets. You shared meals with us. We were close. You came to our town. How can you now say that you don't know where we come from? Verse 27, the master of the house reiterates his point. He, the master, will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. We see here that this is not a conventional wisdom, a conventional way of dividing amongst ourselves. This isn't a comparison between you and I. The division between who's in and who's out, it's not found in our relationships with each other. It's found in our relationship with the master of the house. See, tall, short, fat, skinny, black, white, smart, dumb, near, far. These things don't matter in the kingdom of God. They don't matter at all. None of those things place the outsiders on the outside. Friends, the outsiders are on the outside because they knocked only after the door was already closed. They knocked only after the door was closed even though the master was in their streets, sharing meals with them in their town. Now, this is radical. It's radical because it means that everyone who knows that the door is open has equal opportunity to walk through it. Everyone who knows that the door has been opened has equal opportunity to walk through it. And we see that in verse 29. Jesus says, People will come from east and west and from north and south 
and recline at table in the kingdom of God. People will come from great distances, and they will recline at table. Compare with me, if you will, verses 25 and 29. The people in verse 25, those who are close to Jesus, find themselves on the outside of the feast. And in verse 29, those who came from a great distance away, from east and west, from north and south, they find themselves reclining at table. They're in. This is the reversal that Jesus speaks to in verse 30 when he says, Behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. He's saying some who you would consider last as you compare amongst yourselves, they will be first. And some who you consider first as you compare amongst yourselves, they will be last. Because entrance into the kingdom of God is not based on a conventional wisdom. It is based on the master of the house. It is based on a gospel wisdom. Why then are some who were close to the master now on the outside? Because they did not enter when the master opened the door. Friends, the kingdom of God does not have limited seating capacity. The door is open. The invitation is wide. The limitation comes in our response to what we've heard and what we've seen. Our response to Jesus as he walks in our lives. Jesus opened the door to each one of us when he chose to come down from heaven. He opened the door to each one of us when he chose to take on flesh. When he chose to come into our presence. When he chose to walk in our streets. When he chose to die our death. The death that we deserve. Jesus opened that door so that you and I might know. So that you and I might have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Friends, if our discomfort with the gospel is on the fact that the master of the house closes the door, I would challenge you that our discomfort is misplaced. We should be much more discomfortable, uncomfortable, with the fact that the door was opened at all to us. The fact that God would come down to be with us, that he would come down for us, that he would do that, what, that which we could not do. This should make us extremely uncomfortable. And yet he did it. Because he loves us. Because he loves you. And because he wants to see you reclining with him at table. This is a difficult and beautiful and life-giving truth. He alone can extend the invitation, and it is he alone who is the invitation. How do we know who's in and who's out? Well, it's only when we look at our response to his invitation. Now, I want to end by saying there is neither time nor opportunity at this moment to go into the intricacies of atonement theory. What does it mean? Do, do I choose God? Is it my free will? Or does God do a work that leads me into his grace? That's a good question. Those are very good questions, and I want to have those conversations with you. But that's not the point of this particular passage today. The point of this passage is so that we might know the opportunity that is before us. Though the door be narrow, it has been opened. And it is our goal in our walk with Christ that we might strive to walk through it. Friends, the ship is sinking. 
We might be close to the lifeboats, but we still need to get in them. And this passage points to the opportunity that is before us. To love God, to know God, to dine with him, and to recline with him. It's my encouragement that you, too, would strive. Strive to enter the kingdom of God by trusting in his Son and what his Son has done on our behalf. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.